Good morning and welcome. It's another episode of the Patriot Radio News Hour live on a Monday, April the 10th. And I'm Joe Jaquin, CEO of the Patriot Trading Group. I hope you all had a fantastic weekend. How about those Diamondbacks? I mean, it really is. The, the world has gone nuts. Sergio Garcia wins the Masters. Here's a guy that, like 20 years ago, was like the best player never to win a major. And now they don't even say that because they thought he'll never win one. He actually wins. The, the Americans folded in the final round. The Diamondbacks swept the Indians. We were like, we we're supposed to be the worst team, or, or at least competing for one of the worst teams in baseball. We got the best record. How about that? I say we because, you know, I'm going to own it when we're doing well. Uh, my son, my youngest son and my wife were in California. You know, we used to all go. You know, this would have been, you know, when my older son was playing, we'd go as a family. Can't afford to do that anymore. Can't afford to have all of us out there. But uh, they were uh, playing in a big tournament in California. Actually uh, played Chauncey Billups uh, from Colorado. Uh, Seattle Rotary from Washington was there. They had teams from you know all over the West. Uh, they won their pool and then lost a, a heartbreaker triple overtime. Uh, and I missed it. And uh, it sucks, but the realities are that's just how it's gotten. You know, you, you think about how much it costs uh, to to participate in anything anymore, and it's just gotten ridiculous. But uh, a great showing and a heartbeat away from uh, really what they wanted to do, the Rotary, which is a – they're ranked nationally. They were the team that they were hoping to face, and they lost in triple overtime in the game before that. Uh, so they ended up finishing, I think they finished fifth, uh, but still great effort by them. Uh, as promised, the gold contest is now up on Facebook. You win free gold. All you got to do is follow us on Facebook and put a guess in. Whatever the price of gold is going to be at the end of the month, the person who gets the closest wins just that simple no purchase necessary no nothing necessary share it with everybody let as many let all your friends guess take a guess and you too can win some gold uh you just got to follow us on facebook if you go out to our website at allamericangold.com right below where we have all the spot prices there's our facebook page follow us on twitter i was tweeting all morning this morning uh, at Patriot Trading One, of course, the podcast. Uh, as an example, the the mothership in Colorado is closed today. No worries if you're following us on podcast. At the end of the program, when Ramon has the show up, you get an email notification. You can listen anytime you want. You can do all of that at allamericangold.com and and check it out. Our toll free number of course right here 800-951-0592. You know, little wealth insurance for the, well, I guess the unexpected and what we'll, we've got a great show lined up for you. But before we get to all that, did you see the guy that got pulled off the airplane yesterday? It was a United flight 
and they loaded the plane, and they, I guess, I don't know at what point they realized, oh, wait a minute, <laughs> we're overbooked. And they were asking for volunteers to get off. You know how they do, and they start offering you money, and they got up to 800 bucks, and nobody wanted to get off. So they decided, hey, we're just going to randomly pick people. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know how that happens, but whatever, they go to the computer and it spits out four people. And one of the guys was like, no, I'm not getting off. I made a reservation. I paid for my ticket. And I'm on the plane. I'm in my seat and I'm not getting off. And they. United said, you're getting off. And they forcibly removed him. And the funny thing was, is at least what I read today, they needed people to get off so employees of theirs could get on the plane. And it was a later flight, so I don't know if maybe, maybe this was a flight crew that was going to fly a red eye. I don't know. I don't know the details, but I find it amazing that they couldn't find you know, some employees, if these employees couldn't get to where they needed to be. Uh, and, of course, what leads me to wonder, why did they overbook the flight to begin with? You know, it brings up that Seinfeld episode. Remember that Seinfeld? You took the reservation, but you didn't hold the reservation. And, of course, the holding of the reservation, that's kind of the important part. Right? I mean... Why force me? Why make the reservation? The guy paid for his ticket. He didn't want to get off. I don't know. It just, it seems nuts to me. I actually read where they said that United has a policy that they can do this before you get on the plane. They don't have a policy, I guess, for after you've already boarded it. So we'll have to wait and see. I just thought that was really kind of funny because... Uh, apparently, and I don't know if this is true or not. The guy said he was a doctor and he had a he'd go to work the next day. You know, stuff like that. Uh, but but nonetheless, if you haven't seen it, check it out. Truly amazing, Patriot Radio News Hour. I want you to hold that reservation every day from nine to ten a.m. to watch listen to this show. We'll be right back. Patriot Radio News Hour. Double J and all of you. Hope you're having a fantastic day today, uh, five days away from the not-so-fantastic tax day. Well, let's not talk about that. Let's talk about some great stuff. Uh, you know, something very interesting happened this weekend, and it, it involves something that happened five years ago, and we're still trying to find out the truth. And it's something where, you know, we talk about it all the time. Why did none of these bankers go to jail? I don't know if you saw, remember Wells Fargo? Right? They they just started jacking people, their own customers, signing them up for stuff that they never asked for so they could collect fees on them. And, and you know, essentially what they did is all those people that really don't pay attention to their bank statements were getting charged. And if you happen to catch it, right, and called them, oh, we're sorry, and they, you know, make it right. 
their board did an independent investigation, and they found what we already knew. Yeah, this came right from the top, right? The huge pressure from the top to do this kind of stuff. Now, of course, they didn't put in writing, we want you to illegally do things. But at the same time, they what? They, they knew what was happening. And, and why do I say they knew it? Well, they knew it because no bank had that kind of success in, quote-unquote, they called it cross-selling. I mean, they were off the charts. And, and of course, nobody got sent to prison for that. We think about the height of the crisis and all the bad these bankers were doing, the liar loans and filling the blanks. I mean, you name it. And today, I think I know why. Well, it may seem like yesterday. It was five years ago that the LIBOR scandal first broke. For those of you that don't know what that was, is these banks are supposed to get together and determine what the opening price of the LIBOR or interest, interest rates. You know, the, the importance of that is it sets what the benchmark for when people borrow money, how much they have to pay. And these banks, at least what we are originally led to believe, they were colluding together. In other words, they were sharing information with each other before the openings. You know, hey, I've got this guy wanting to trade this and that, and he, we're long and short and, and figured out how to make the most amount of money. So that's, you know, essentially to heck with our customers. You know, it's kind of like the doctor-patient confidentiality, right? <laughs> right. You know, you don't want your doctor out there telling everybody your business. And this is kind of what the banks were doing, or so we thought. But now it appears to be even more than just simple bank collusion. It was first reported in July of 2012 that Barclays and their then-CEO, Bob Diamond, that was acting, and this was, by the way, this was set at the Bank of England, so the LIBOR rates are set in London, that they may or may not have been aware that LIBOR rates had been manipulated and that they, they were or were not also active in setting the process. They have found somebody was smart enough. This is the thing about it, right? Big Brother is always watching. Somebody's always recording. (laughs) Barclays now says that the Bank of England called them on October 29, 2008, specifically about the LIBOR rate. Barclays says that the CEO, Bob Diamond, who at one point, I probably right on this very program, said that guy should go to prison, made note 
not only did he make note of the call, but he also said who made the call at the Bank of England. According to the transcripts, Barclays is now saying Paul Tucker, who was the person at the Bank of England that made the call, told Barclays certain Barclays didn't need advice. Hey, I'm not calling to give you advice. (laughs) Hey, I'm not calling to tell you what to do, Barclays. I'm not. I mean, I am from the Bank of England, but I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm just going to say that LIBOR didn't always need to be so high. So you have the CEO of Barclays now on record as saying the Bank of England called us and said to us, hey, we're not telling you what to do, but we don't want the LIBOR rate so high. And, and, I'm, and I'm sitting here, and, and when you kind of see what's happened, you know, we talk about the auditing of these central banks. This is collusion. This is corruption. This is better than any mafia boss could ever imagine. Right? You think about the Sopranos and Tony Tony uh, Tony Soprano, right? And, and you think about the central banks and what they've got the greatest cover of all. Oh, we need our independence. We need to be able to call banks and tell them what to do. It said that according to the BBC, the 2008 recording adds to evidence the central bank repeatedly pressured commercial banks during the financial crisis to push LIBOR rates down just as Bob Diamond stated in 2012. The recordings of the call in question were given to the Treasury Select Committee, and the man who went on to become the Deputy Governor of the Bank of England. (laughs) That's the best part. Hey, we turned it over to this guy, and essentially he didn't he didn't do anything with it right he made it disappear and then we promoted him saying that the publishing of this information would mean the breaking of the rules for setting libor rates according to the the i guess the claims they were trying to push levels below a realistic number of where anybody could possibly get money. And I bring this up because this is really very obvious, which is that the central banks all along have been implicit in all of this. Right? We know 
that they now meet with all of these banks all the time, and now we're starting to find out they're, they essentially, and here's how they get around it. Well, yeah, I'm not telling you what to do. Now, I just thought I'd give you a call today, see how things were going. <laughs> right, hey, and I know that you're kind of in charge of setting these rates. You know what, let me give you some advice. Not that you need it, but I'm just going to give you some. And you start really wondering, you know, how bad are things really when this has to go on? And and at what point are we going to call for criminal investigation? I mean, really, when you think about it, this is really a, I I can't even call it, not only was there a cover-up, right, but now you have... The central banks, we know for a fact, and you know it's not just England, right? We know that. Central banks are calling up the, what we'll call the market makers, and telling them exactly what they want. And, of course, implying at the same time they're going to have what? Right? They're going to have the central bank in their quarter. Hey, by the way, go this way. We don't care about the consumer or your investors, right? It's, it's kind of like a, like the job stuff. What number do we believe? Right? It's incredible. They're all over the – we don't know. We'd like to know the actual number, but they won't give us that number. Instead, we only get survey data. And the central banks are now, you know, hey, I wonder if all of these banks – have that same information about the liar loans, right, mortgages, and all of the rest of it. Because really that's the only thing that makes sense. Now I think about when Bear Stearns, you know, and you forget, because that was 11 years ago. The CEO of Bear Stearns, I'll remember it so well, came out on TV, on CNBC, and they had a big interview with him, and he was glowing about what a great financial picture Bear Stearns was in, and so on and so forth, and oh no, the markets are fine, and everything's contained, and nobody has to worry. A week later, that was when the central bank made the emergency phone call to Jamie Dimon saying, hey, you need to buy Bear Stearns, remember that, for $2 a share? And now I kind of understand why this man went out there and did it. He had the central bank in his corner. Right? I mean, that's the only thing that really makes sense. How could that guy not go to prison? He just went out on TV. He lied to everybody. He committed fraud. He perjured himself. He did all all. I mean, you name it, he did it. Nothing ever happened. What? Okay, so now the guy's not worth $200 million. Maybe he's only worth $100 million, right? Maybe that was the worst thing that ever happened. But doesn't that make a lot of sense? <laughs> right? No wonder why he went out there and did it. 
Right? The central bank, well, what do you, I talk to them every day. They call me up, they tell me what to do. Right? Or they don't tell me what to do. Let's not get carried away. They don't, they don't give me advice. I don't need the advice. But then they say, you know, this is what, this would be wonderful if this happened. And I just find it very, you know, so five years later, we find out that right from the get-go, Barclays turned this information over and was sat on. Don't tell anybody. And I start thinking about when is it going to be, when are we going to finally demand that we audit the Federal Reserve? Right, this is, I gotta believe, and I'm sure our founding fathers never imagined these types of scenarios that are playing out today. But this was the big part of the reason why, right, you don't want this private entity running the country's finances. Patriot Radio News Hour. We'll be back after the break. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now from the Phyllis Schlafly Center Studios, here's Ryan Haidt. As we continue our celebration of 50 years of the Phyllis Schlafly Report, we turn our attention to Phyllis's work from 1968. Phyllis Schlafly always showed the passion of personal experience as she wrote about issues that affected everyday Americans, including her. This is very evident in her Phyllis Schlafly report from May 1968 in the headline article called Crisis in Law and Order. Without a doubt, her writings on the riots of 1968 very clearly apply to the protests that have swept our nation in recent years. Lyndon B. Johnson's administration from 1963 to 1969 was fraught with violent turmoil in America's major cities. In 1967, Phyllis released a book titled Safe, Not Sorry, in which she connected the dots to show how government employees, including known communists, were actively aiding violent rioters across America. In 1968, destructive and violent demonstrations led to untold millions of dollars in property damage and millions more in lost revenue for businesses. After hard work and investigation, Phyllis determined the root of the civil unrest problem. Politicians simply weren't doing their jobs. As she put it, Instead of enforcing the law, the Justice Department is spending its time asking judges to release rioters scot-free. However, Phyllis Schlafly did so much more than just point out the problems. Her twofold solution to the riots of the 60s is the same solution that we need today. First, we must get the right people into office, and second, we need to stay vigilant and hold them accountable to the promises that they made on the campaign trail. Phyllis's May 1968 PS report proved that violent protests don't just happen, soft elected officials allow them to happen. That's why Donald Trump's promise to be a law and order president was so important in last year's election. We need a president who will enforce the laws and give no quarter to those who would resort to violence and destruction to get their message across. With a network of supporters to hold him accountable, Donald Trump can be that president. Phyllis Schlafly saw that before nearly anyone else, and we would do well to follow her lead. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. What should we expect from a Donald Trump White House? Will President Trump elevate and advance conservative ideals? 
at pseagles.com, you have complete access to our Phyllis Schlafly Eagles news updates, commentaries, and blogs. Add your own comments at pseagles.com. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back, Patriot Radio News Hour. I just want to update everybody on our medals program. The shipping table is jam-packed again today. Uh, We're going to be done with this by the end of the week. By the end of the week. You know, part of it, I don't want to make any excuses, but I blame it on Wendy. (laughs) She had a bad back. She had a bad back, and, and you should have seen her. I, I wanted to go, you know, get her one of those walkers, you know, the ones that got the tennis balls on them, you know, and get her to walk. <laughs> so I felt bad, so we took it easy on her last week, but now it's back to work. But that was funny. You were really funny in it. You were in a, yeah, you were in a lot of pain. Okay. So anyway, we're getting it all that. By the way, all of you that are waiting for your, your XS10s and 20s, those are going out this week. Uh, some of you got uh, 61s or 2s or 3s. Those are all going out this week. So we're we're going to be all cut up by the end of the week. Uh, we appreciate everybody's patience on that. Uh, but, but it just is what it is. Right now, there's a great article, two of them. One of them's in the Wall Street Journal. One was on CNBC today. And talking about GDP and how are we getting this? Let's let's go two percent. How are we getting this two percent? And it really comes down to just a couple of places. The number one gain in GDP growth: student loan debt. It's number one. And you think about. All the different types of debt. This is probably the one that is the most controversial, right? Because now more than ever, if you don't have a college degree, right, you are, you have a hard time getting a job. But the problem is, even when you have a college degree, <laughs> you got a hard time getting the job. I, I call it the 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 third, third, and third, right? I have a lot of kids that I used to coach that are, especially right now, been graduating from college. Starting uh, about three years ago for uh, the next three more years. So this, you know, think about this uh, six, seven, eight-year period where I have all kinds of kids graduating. And I talk to so many of them. One of them does work for us. But as I'm talking to these kids, this is how they break it down for me. They say, Coach Joe, a third of all of us that graduate get a job in a field that somewhat is related to what we got our degree in. Okay, in other words, I went to college for this, and I got a job doing that. Only a third. They said another third of us, we got a job. 
but it wasn't in the field that we went to school for. In other words, they said, well, hey, listen, we just care. Yeah, you got the degree, you're hired. <laughs> that will teach you what you need to know. Which really goes on to tell you you really don't need a college degree to get most of these jobs, but that's irrelevant. The other third. I didn't get any job. I didn't get a job for what I went to school for. I didn't get a job in some other related field. And I'm now working as a waiter or a waitress, wherever. Right? I'm working minimum wage jobs with my college degree. Over the past 10 years, the amount of student loan debt in the United States has grown by 170%. Staggering. They now total $1.4 trillion. And it seems just like, it just seems like last year I said it went over a trillion. Now it's $1.4 trillion. That's more than all the car loans. Think about all the cars that are out there, right? You're driving during rush hour. There's cars everywhere. More than that. And it's also more than all the credit card debt added together. I mean, this is a huge amount of money. According to the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau, since 2008, we have basically swapped a housing debt bubble for a student loan bubble. And that really is what we're worried about. By the way, you know, I talk about how, you know, Ben Bernanke wrote it in his book. You know, I love it when these guys write books because then you can use what they wrote against them. <laughs> right? What do they say when you're committing a crime? Never write it down. He said that when he was going to Harvard, that it was room, board, everything, right? Four grand for the year. Not a semester, a year. Four grand. Right? And he worked a, here was his big working experience. Ready? He was a waiter at a Mexican restaurant. That's right. That's that's was Ben Bernanke's his only as far as I know his only non-government job was being a waiter during the summers while he was going to Harvard for four thousand dollars a year. According to CNBC today, they said uh, the 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 person that wrote this he attended the first college preparatory meeting at his daughter's high school okay so my son but my oldest son joey he's a junior my wife goes to these meetings right you you got to talk okay how are we going to get your kid to college what type of test scores does he need what does it cost what are you going to need blah 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 where i was told to expect a seventy two thousand dollar a year sticker fee for Ivy League and liberal arts colleges. (laughs) And I would feel lucky to get away with just that. 
1971, it cost $4,000 a year to go to Harvard. Today they're saying, hey, the entry fee is 72 k <laughs> But uh, that's just, you know, that's just the introductory price. Your kid wants books, <laughs> stuff like that, or they want to eat, you know, little stuff like that. Don't worry, though. There's no inflation. And don't worry. Oh, it's, it's going to be fine. Patriot Radio News Hour. We'll be back after the break. Don't forget, go out to Facebook, enter. And really, entering really isn't anything more than guessing what the price of gold is going to be on the close of the last day of April. The person that gets the closest, doesn't matter if you're a little higher or lower, this isn't prices right where you got to be lower. Whoever is the closest to the actual close, Wins a free one tenth ounce American Gold Eagle. You do not have to be a customer. You don't have to purchase anything. I will also tell you, you will not be solicited by us for anything. Share it with your friends. Get as many. See how many people we can get to go out there and guess what the price of gold's going to be. Uh, you have until Sunday. I think it's uh, twelve midnight on Sunday is when the you have to have your guest in by. Okay, so you have until uh, midnight Sunday to have your guess as to what the price of gold will be on the last day of April. We're talking about, so think about what we talked about today. Found out that the Bank of England, <laughs> right, they weren't telling people what to do. They weren't giving advice. But they were telling the banks, this is what we want to have happen. And we don't think we need to audit these people. They're criminals. Then we talked about student loan debt. 1.4 trillion, up 170%. I guess this is this is really what the economy's been. This is it. This, this was your growth. Then today, Wall Street Journal. Credit card debt breaches the trillion-dollar threshold in the United States, joining auto loans and student debt and crossing that level. Says the new data from the Federal Reserve marks the latest sign of an increasing appetite for household debt. Now, let me ask you this. Does any of us out there really want more credit card debt? Do any of us really want more student loan debt? Do any of us really want more automobile debt? But the way they write that, you would think, oh, yeah, we're begging for it. Here's the best part. Rising consumer borrowing is often a positive sign for the U.S. economy. And it typically means consumers are spending more on big-ticket items. See? Look how great that is. We fixed it. Of course, what happens when you get to the point where no one can pay it back? By the way, student loan defaults already. Now, and I've already told you this. This isn't student loan debt's not like credit cards or automobile debt. 
But you don't pay your car, the repo man comes. You don't pay your student loan debt, nothing really happens. I don't know, I shouldn't say nothing, but eventually they're going to get their money, but they do deferments and this and that. But actual defaults, which really, I mean, you've got to work really, really hard. You've got to probably go five, six, eight, ten years if you're really good at paperwork before they put you into default. You know, default rate's already 20%. And I say that because think about what brought down the housing market. What what was it? Six or 7% of people weren't paying their mortgages, right? And it crashed it all. But it said that it typically means consumers are spending more on big-ticket items such as cars and smaller purchases often charged on credit cards. And while some are concerned about, you know, auto lending to risky borrowers, and some are concerned about the defaults on student loads and the credit card, <laughs> just some people, hey, listen, that's just for some people. And they're not worried. No, no. The quality of this is, and I'm not lying, this is what they said. The quality of the credit card debt remains good, remains strong. Now, there's a bunch of data saying it's gotten a lot weaker, but they're saying that it's strong. So does that mean that the automobiles aren't strong and that the student loans aren't strong? Yes, that's exactly what it means. But the credit card, that one's strong. Data released Friday shows that consumers owe one trillion dollars on credit cards, up six point two percent from a year ago. But you think about student loans; they rise about seventeen percent a year. Credit card debts up six percent a year. I don't; they didn't give the number for auto loan debts, but you can kind of get the picture. Right? This is the economy. This is the growth. Right? We're drowning in it. And it said in the past, following auto loans, which hit the milestone in the past two years, and student loans, which pushed over a trillion dollars right before that. So I said I thought it was last year, it was actually a couple years ago. Both of those went over a trillion. Now credit cards is over a trillion. The new data based on the Federal Reserve's revolving debt figure shows that 95% of the credit card debt remained on the balance. In other words, only 5% of people were actually paying off the card at the end of the month. It says consumer debt trends of late reflect some broad changes in the economy, including more workers putting off home purchases and and instead borrowing for other items. Yes, you know, I'm going to buy a home. Yeah, but you know what? I I needed to get a car first, you know, and I got to pay off these student loans. And, you know, I, well, you know, I just don't have the money. Mortgages, while a far larger market, represent a smaller share of overall consumer debt than it did in 2008. Right? Which makes sense. We, we, I say it all the time. Housing sales are way off. Unfortunately for all of us, that debt just got replaced by others. And we all know how the housing market ended, don't we? Patriot Radio News Hour, final segment coming up. 
final segment on a Monday. Just a, incredible, yes? The central bank's been using their influence on everybody, and all that they've really accomplished is to put us in more debt than we've ever been in our lives. And now, you know, it's not the housing market. It's the three other markets. <laughs> because even even the Wall Street Journal said, most people can't even afford to buy a home anymore. That That's gone. That's out. Of course, they can't afford to buy them because the Federal Reserve let all their banker buddies buy up all the houses. And now all the other three, student loan, autos, credit cards, all over a trillion dollars. And you kind of wonder, you know, what happens as, as we're seeing it. Now, bankruptcies are on the commercial bankruptcies on the rise. Consumer bankruptcies are on the rise. And they're talking about raising rates. Oh, none of that makes any sense. you gotta, you got to understand that, right? That doesn't make any sense. But then again, it's the Federal Reserve. It doesn't need to make any sense. But this is why you put some gold away. It's insurance against these people. Right? And we know, look at their track history. They couldn't predict. I mean, you know what? Really, you know, they, they, make, you know, they couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. They're not even close. For all the the MIT mafia and all the data scroungers that they have, they're not even close. Got a great opportunity in the fractional gold market today. U.S. $5 liberties. They're $22 over spot, so if you bought four of them, they'll be $88 over on quarter off. I've never seen it ever, and I've been doing this almost 14 years. They're $335, which puts four of them at $1,340. Gold's at $1,253. It's incredible, the ability to, especially on fractional material. On the $5 liberties, I mean, you're normal, normal markets, just regular, not, not even souped up ones, just a regular market. Normally, you'd pay about $200 over spot if you bought four of them. That would be a regular market. Now, when you buy four of them, it's $88. Eight U.S. $5 liberties. These are the old ones. Right? 1866 to 1907. They're $335. I laugh because I, I can't believe it. 800 951 Quick look here at the markets. Uh, the Dow's trying to hang on to positive territory. It's up two points right now as... Uh, well, I, I don't know. There's a lot going on in the world. Apparently, we're now sending a... And I don't know if it's an aircraft carrier or if it's uh, what what it is on its way steaming over to, to North Korea right now as we speak. Uh, gold's pretty much unchanged, uh, $1,252.50. Uh, Silver is down about $0.20 cents right now, $17.95. Uh, put some gold away. Just a great opportunity. U.S. $5 gold pieces, 335 
Buy four of them. It's 88 bucks over spot. You can't beat it. 800-951-0592. Everyone take care and have a great day.